Welcome back to season two of Dismedia, a startup story, the podcast where I take you along our journey of starting Dismedia from the ground up. You get to hear all about our challenges and accomplishments as we either grow Dismedia or go bust. Either way, you're going to have a front row seat to hear it all. And along the way, we're going to have some special guests who share with us their wisdom and insights and what helped them along their startup journey to success. So get ready as we get into it and try to help those get better at what they do. Welcome back, everybody, to Dismedia, a startup story. I am your host, Ben Olmos, and my counterpart, Alan. Alan, how are you doing? Doing, doing fantastic. Happy New Year to all of you. Welcome to 2024. Let's be blessed. Let's be healthy, happy, and productive. Yes, and that is going to be awesome for... Uh, this is Alan, this is out of order. This podcast is two weeks from the first one that is going to air at the beginning of the year. So... Uh, <laughs> But, but that's okay. That's the whole fun of editing around things. But uh, joining us today is a very special guest. And before I reveal who it is, I got to tell the story about how, how I came about learning about our guest. As has happened before, I'm on TikTok. And there was a very uh, intriguing TikTok that I heard about <laughs> the business of faith. Yeah. And I, I got drawn in I because it is a world that I've often thought about and um, I've, I've had questions myself as a business professor. Something that I often tell my students in class is everything is a business mm -hmm. that nonprofit is a tax status. It is not a business plan. Right. And so to have a nonprofit organization, you have to think like a business person. However, one of the challenges of doing that is being able to separate what Dan Pink calls the purpose motive and the profit motive and not allowing the profit motive to overtake the purpose motive for not just for-profit organizations, but really especially for nonprofit organizations. And so our guest today had a great video, really a series of videos about this. And I reached out and I said, hey, I would love to explore this a little bit more. And he graciously accepted the invitation. And so joining us today is Ken Arrington. Ken, how are you? I'm great. Uh, I'm absolutely honored to be here. Thank you. And thank you for reaching out and offering this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. And like I said, one of the things that really drew me in, and, and I'd love to start from that standpoint of how I came across your TikToks. And you've had your channel up for a little while. You've been putting out content about the, I, I shouldn't say it's just about the business of faith, but that is the thing that really drew me in because you had some really interesting perspective on it. And it sounds you got, you've been lured into a few organizations that <laughs> kind of put that profit motive over the purpose motive. You could say that, yeah, yeah. So Ken, tell us a little bit about yourself. You have a really dynamic background and you, what I think is very interesting, even more so, is the journey that you're on right now where you've moved your family, you, you've sold everything. No, no, I didn't sell everything, we gave everything away. My apologies. Big difference. <laughs> there is a huge- We didn't have anything worth selling, to be real. <laughs> Well, even more, and I think it is very much a testament to to your belief and your motivation. You gave 
everything away. And where were you prior to Puerto Rico, which is where you're at So this is the second time we've given everything away. The first time was when my wife and our family, at the time we had three small children and we didn't know she was pregnant. We knew, we found out she was pregnant right before we moved. So I had a great corporate sales job, full commission, making phenomenal money, but it's very high stress, very, it's full commission. It was selling employee engagement programs, basically how to retain, how programs for companies to retain their high skilled employees. But I had always felt called to a life of mission since becoming Christian. I grew up in the church. My father was a pastor and my father's father was a pastor on and on down the line. I think I'm fourth or fifth generation somewhere around there. Fuzzy when you get that far back. But (laughs) I grew up in the church, familiar with the ins and outs of how everything worked. Very turned off by that system even when I was a little kid and completely left the faith altogether until I had a come to Jesus moment, really in my mid thirties, actually had a powerful encounter and realized that, wow, okay, this is real. And so if it's real, am I going to just try to fit this idea of Jesus into my life? Or am I actually going to become a committed disciple? And obviously my wife and I, we chose the latter. And we started going on mission trips, wanted a full life, wanted a life full of mission, a life called to serve, not to convert people, but to actually express to them the dynamic beauty of falling in love with Jesus. And so we started traveling around the world and I had a great job, a great corporate sales job that actually even supported that. Like I, I would go for, to for weeks at a time to India, to Cuba. I had a great boss and I was a great employee. I never left my slack behind and took care of things. And But the Lord was calling us into this life of mission. And so we, strangest place in the world it could be called for your first, like we had gone on short-term mission trips but and I would actually train missionaries like in India. And I'm, <laughs> uh, anyway, that's a totally different story, but uh, um, Ended up moving to Wales, UK. At the time, couldn't even find it on a map. I was like, God, Wales needs missionaries. Yes, they do. And when we were there, quickly realized I didn't want to really work in the church dynamic, the business side of church. Nothing against church. I love church. I love the big C. I love the big church. And I love churches. I speak in a lot of churches. I get in, my, my dad's still a pastor. I get invited to a lot of churches. I, I love churches. But in America and in a lot of other places, we've turned it into such a business model that like the essence of what church really is, which is community, has been left behind. And like a lot of churches will say, hey, we do life together. That's their catch phrase. But the minute you walk right. out those doors, they ain't doing life with you no more. Or if you go visit another church, oh, you're not doing life with us anymore. So you just fall between the cracks. So if you don't, you mind me hopping in here yeah, for a sure, second, because I want to dive into that for a second. When you talk about the business of church, mm-hmm. as most people who go to church, they probably don't think about the operation side of running that business. It's expensive. That's what most people don't understand. So I did this post on TikTok. I started a TikTok account about a year and a half ago, and now it's about a quarter million followers. Never in a million years envisioned anything like that. 
but the things that I would say struck a chord. And one of the big things that people don't realize, so I made this post on TikTok about how to tell if your church has become a business. Uh, let's be real. Every church in America has to be a business in some way, shape or form. The difference is when all of a sudden the business end start outweighs the purpose of what the church is actually for, um, which is community, which is it's a place where Christians are supposed to come together and share their victory stories of how Jesus is working, their struggles, their failures, their passions. They're supposed to come together and pursue the heart of the Father, or Jesus, Holy Spirit, all that stuff. But a lot of churches, they lose that dynamic. Um, they move into, well, we're not making enough money. How do we get people in the door? How do we keep people in the door? Instead of, sh the, the purpose of the church should be shoving people out the door and into the community. And a lot of, most churches don't operate that way because they want to pull people in and keep them in because most churches in America and most people that go to churches in America is a product of American culture in a lot of ways, this idea of consumerism. I go to church, I believe in Jesus because I get a blessing, right? So if I don't get a blessing, what's the point, right? Or the motto of churches, you tithe so you can be blessed. And yeah, there's got a there's a gratification yeah, motive, and there. and that's like completely losing the heart of what giving is supposed to be about. I don't give something so I can receive something. I give something because that's where my heart position is set to give. And and but without getting into like crazy history, I created this post about how to tell if your church is more on the business side of things. And it got flared up to a million, two million views or whatever it was. <laughs> and then like I was reading the comments and there was so much hate directed at like pastors and the way churches operate. And I actually had to make a companion video on the backside. And I was like, look, if that's what you're getting from this video, you totally missed the whole point. Because the point of like churches, like I said, I, my father's a pastor, my, like on and on. Right. It's, you got to pay for electricity. You got to pay the rent or the mortgage on the place. If you want coffee, you got to pay for coffee. If you want, you people are like, the pastor shouldn't get paid, but yet you expect that pastor to be on call 60 hours a week. Yeah, my dad worked, my dad is 70, how old is my dad? 74. And my dad like works 80 hour weeks. Like it's insane. He's yeah. the kind of pastor you call him at three o'clock in the morning. He's by your side. He's the best man I know. He is, my father's the most incredible man I've ever met as far as like his passion for serving people. And people have this wrong idea about pastors. That, oh, they only, you know, they only talk for an hour and a half every week. I'm like, no, that's not <laughs> how that works. And, and so you've got, and then people are like, I want a live stream. Now you gotta, you gotta, gotta buy computers. Now you gotta have an internet connection that has great bandwidth. Now you have to have a media department. Now you have to have, you want a worship team? You want a worship team? You can take the best worship team in the world you put them on a stage and you have a bad sound guy, it sounds like garbage. You can take Fleetwood Mac and put them up there with a bad sound guy and they're gonna sound like Junkyard Dog, you know? It's, it's, yeah. So people- It's interesting that you, you say this because what, what comes to mind as you're going through this is that, and I, pardon me for kind of, I have this sometimes way of just being very pragmatic about stuff, but you're putting on a show. Yeah. It, it's a show. It 
And you don't tune into, you know, the latest episode of whatever you're watching on Netflix and go, those people should only get paid for the 45 minutes to an hour that they're doing the show. There's a whole crew involved and not that doesn't include the marketing, yeah. the technical team, all of, it. All of yeah. that, all of it. <laughs> and, and if you don't have that, then you don't have the growth. And if you don't have the growth, you don't have the sustainability. Yep. You don't have the sustainability. It all goes away. That's absolutely right. Now, what, what, what happened to the church? What, or people are like, I want to go to a church that takes care of the homeless. Okay. That costs money. Absolutely. Like, that's, like <laughs> people just don't, they don't, for as smart as us human beings are, we miss the point. And that's not what I'm talking about when I talk about the business, the, the business side of church. What I'm talking about when those things happen are using corporate sales tactics poorly, usually, like coming from a corporate sales background. And a lot of churches, they don't do it well. They think they do, but it's they're trying to merge. In America, the big thing in the 80s, and it really blew up in the 90s, hit big in the 2000s. Now it's dying off a little bit because people are becoming really aware of it and it's icky, is the idea of the CEO church. And for a long time in churches, and, and it's still pushed in like franchise church models and stuff like that, but you hear this idea of the pastor is the CEO of the church. Yeah. But pastors aren't trained to be that. No. You know, this is it. What comes to mind is there's a show on HBO called The Righteous Gemstones, mm -hmm. which is a really over the top uh, depiction of what you're talking about with this legacy family who, who has this, they're involved in, in a big mega church and they run it like a corporation. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're exactly right. It's not necessarily the skill set. No. Like seminary school, I can tell you straight up, that's not how to be the CEO. So that's what is happening in some of these churches is they're actually moving these churches that have moved away from a pastoral model. They've moved to the CEO model and they've tried to take pastors and place them into that model. And it doesn't work. It works for a while until all of a sudden there's this place of compromise that begins to come in. Like for instance, that my particular, the series that I was doing is my wife and I, when we first came to back to the faith or to the faith, whatever you want to call it, we were, got involved with this church. And it was great. The people in this church were amazing. They're, they're lovely people. And the pastor, like one-on-one, -on -one, amazing, lovely, lovely guy, just great. But there was this juxtaposition of what we soon found out was that they had it in their head that there was a church that ran about 800, 900 people. And their goal for the year was, let's get to a thousand people. And it was like, by any means necessary, we will get to a thousand people. <laughs> no matter yeah. how we have to manipulate our sermons, no matter, because what we didn't. That was the sales that goal. That was the sales goal. And, and it wasn't just, we don't need a thousand members. We need a thousand wealthy members or influential yeah. members. They didn't, if it was, they were looking for like the meetings, all the staff meetings were about, oh, hey, how do we get these people in? Or how do we go to the movie studio that was down the road from us? How do you go to the movie studio and, no, and get these I people got, in? I gotta ask you this, 
Because as a business operations guy, one of the things that, that I might think about doing is some regression analysis that says for every new member we add, it's X number of dollars into, into the church. And so we need to target these zip codes because Lots those are the most influential Lots. zip codes. Lots of that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it, it does get so, down into oh, that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Ken, yes, if I if I can, I, I'm just chomping at the bit on this thing because the, the I'm looking at this leadership thing, and whether it's in the military or an industry or in a nonprofit or in a church, who's sitting at that table when the decision was made to set that as the primary goal of the church? Here's what a lot of people don't know, and this is one thing that kind of shocked people, I think, and one reason that the, the thing took off the way it did is. Most of your successful churches that are currently running a couple thousand people, they're not doing it on their own. They're actually tied into an association of churches. And I'm not going to name any names because they're very litigious. But there are these groups of churches and they have gone so far because they've realized that the jig has been up because of other people who are bringing this to public attention so used to you could go on these websites and you could see all the churches in these different associations you could actually see them now those pages are gone right so they don't identify who are actually part of these associations because they all share the same sermons that most of these pastors they don't write their own sermons most of these pastors, they don't, or most of these, the in-house media teams are actually just working on the media and specifying it for that church because it's actually coming from a different organ, it's coming from the overarching so the, organization. So they franchised it. It's total franchise. Yes, total franchise, yeah. 100%. So what happens is when they, they, when they receive a tithe from the people in the church, they pay. There's a commission that has to be paid back to the yeah, not, franchise. Absolutely. Yes. Wow. And these franchises are not, and these franchises, they are not listed as, most of them are not listed as tax free entities. Got it. Wow. That's, wow. A very, that's very interesting. I wonder. So these are probably privately held for profit organizations. Yes. Yeah. Gosh, at some point, but well, now they would get killed if they ever went public. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine them them doing an IPO. And they're, ro they're but, rolling. They're rolling. I was yeah. actually on a podcast not too long ago with a guy that used to be really high up. <laughs> and he was like, he had kind of seen this series and he was like, he goes, you like listed the business plan for like how all the, and I was like, I, yeah, you know, and I was like, and he goes, no, he goes, I actually served in the corporate suite. He goes, you, they don't even try to hide the language. They call it assimilation how to get people in and assimilate as many of them as they can. The idea is not to necessarily churn out believers. It's to churn out people that keep coming back to the church because, the, and so basically it creates, like I said, this cycle of consuming on both the church's part and the person who is attending. And so they basically get in this cycle of consuming from each other. And eventually what happens is, and this, happens pretty much with everybody and it starts this the daisy chain of kind of what you're seeing going on in the church system now but what happens is they start feeding on each other to the point where eventually one of them eventually runs out 
like people are like, well, I'm not getting anything from this church anymore. Or it's because they've consumed so much that there's nothing new for them to do. So the focus, they say the focus is on discipleship and all this other stuff. It's not. It's like, it's amazing. Because what happens is these churches, what they do in this type of system. And like I said, not all churches are like this. Okay. Like, yeah, we're, we're, like, we're not talking to everybody. I'm, not, I'm talking about, but what they do is they... I don't want to paint with two broad strokes because I don't want people getting soured on the idea of going of church. Church is good. We, you know, we, yeah. you know, we're missionaries, <laughs> so, you know, but what, ha- but what happens is that the entire way that they conceive of their relationship with God is through the church. And that's not what the purpose of church was ever intended to be. And what tends to happen is that, like I said, they begin to consume so much. So what the church does is they created this. It's brilliant. They created a system. And what it's, they, how do you cut down on costs, right? Volunteers. The more volunteers you have, the less you have to pay someone physical money to do it. And Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with volunteering. I direct charities, okay? We need volunteers. But what churches do is they'll say, usually, and it usually goes off like clockwork, because like I said, these bigger churches, they have these sermon series. So like during Easter, I'll just give you the Easter spill, how it works. So Easter, what happens is that they know that's gonna be their second biggest day of the year, okay? Christmas is their biggest day, or the Christmas service is their biggest service. But the Christmas service, is more like a tradition whereas the easter service that's one where they know that they can get give the story of christ dying for your sins right so all of a sudden you usually go in there'll be something extremely emotional something that really moves your heart to go oh you know what i do need to start going to church this needs to be a part of my life this is what i'm doing so the next week they don't give the tithing sermon (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the next week, they'll usually have two or three weeks. About the fourth week, what they'll do with the fourth week is they'll have, that's when they start the leadership sermon. We need new leaders. We need new people to join with our vision. Our vision. And each church will have their own vision statement. They'll have a vision statement and a mission statement. And so the the mission statement is the purpose. The vision statement is the activation. So they'll move with the vision statement and they'll go, hey, we need new leaders to to accomplish our vision in this community, bring people to Christ, do this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You go to this leadership meeting and what they're looking for is they're looking. So they're they're priming the buyer. Oh, they are. Yeah, because what happens is you go to this meeting and in this meeting they'll do it up. Like you'll have catering, you'll have all stuff for the kids, you'll have all these different things. And then what they'll do is they'll bring you in, we need your voice, duh. But to do this, you got to go through this program, this leadership program that we do. We really want you to be a part, et cetera, et cetera. And usually it's like a three or four week program. You'll usually do it on a Wednesday or Thursday night or something like that. And you'll come in. Basically what the program is, in a nutshell, is a volunteering program. It's the best way to serve, the best way to serve the vision of the church, the best way to lead is by volunteering. And then when you volunteer, you're vested. 
you're invested in what's going on, right? Like you, you get a charge, you get invited to the meetings, you get invited to the dinners, the breakfast, the barbecues. Part course. of the so club. You're part of the club, right. And who doesn't want to be part of yeah. a club, especially when you're like, Absolutely. when you're going to a new church, you're looking for a new, let's be real, you're looking for a new club, okay? Yeah, you want you connection. Want connection, exactly. So what happens is you move into the system, you move into the leadership program, all of a sudden you're volunteering and now you're giving unpaid labor, which if it's only a couple hours a week, that's great, that's amazing, that's fine. But there's a lot of churches out there that are running people 30, 40 hours a week unpaid. It's very common, yeah. it is not uncommon, it's extremely common. And what happens is when these people are in there, because they're they're feeling it, they're getting it, like they're interning or they're volunteering, they're leading, et cetera, et cetera. And what happens is about six weeks after the ser Easter sermon, once these volunteers have come in, once they're invested, then comes the tithing sermon. You gotta give the 10%. And then they'll come back with the, and 10% is just the start. We're doing a special program for, we're gonna double blessing, double portion blessing, double tithe. You know, du double blessing for you if you double tithe. And my wife and I, we fallen, fell for that like years and years ago. And you know what? We felt great at the time. Now looking back at it, I'm like, glad we did it. Would not do that now that I know, now yeah. that I know better. But at the time I felt great. And you're seeing the church accomplish things. But what happens is when people wise up to the program a little bit or something happens in their life, or let's say they're volunteering 30 hours a week and all of a sudden they are, they're like, hey, I've had something come up. I can't volunteer 30 hours a week anymore. I can only volunteer five or six hours a week. All of a sudden, like you start falling out of the you circle. You start falling out. You fall out of the circle of trust. And then next thing you know, one day you really you look around and realize the only reason these people are your friends is because of that. And then you realize, oh my gosh, I've been doing this to people too because that's that was my one of my big realizations is like, oh my gosh, how many people have I done that to? How many people that have I ghosted? Because they stopped coming to church. I didn't mean to. I was volunteering like 30 hours a week. I didn't have time like to not hang out with this person anymore, but like these friendships, they all just fell apart. And I realized, we realized quickly, that wasn't what we were supposed to do. So as far as my wife and I, we had just got back from India. We had, we had gone to India with an amazing pastor and he wanted, he knew what was up with the system. Phil, you, you go to a big church, pay attention to the lights, pay attention to the light shading, pay attention to, they'll use different lights at different time to manipulate. You will never ever see reds during a call for money. You will only see greens and purples. That's all you'll see. And then when there is like special emphasis on certain things, they'll, they'll adjust the lights accordingly. They've got it down to science. They yeah, I, you know, a lot of what you're describing reminds me, I've been in consumer product goods for my career. Yeah. And you talk about impulse buy, you talk about branding and coloring and oh. certain fonts, certain colors yes. create different emotions. Yes. And so yes. you leverage all of that to, yeah. to your advantage. Absolutely. And like a lot, in a lot of these churches, uh, like I, like I mentioned before, like the pastors don't write their sermons. They are actually stored on a database. So when you become a part of these different associations, you have access to these databases and you can go on Google and you can find them you can you can find these these databases that people buy sermons from and but when you're part of these franchise group churches they they have a central storage base and they'll even control like 
what songs are going to be played, what tempo they're going to be played at, what key they're going to be played in, when, like, when they're supposed to, like, the songs have certain points in time that they're played for a reason. It's a show. It's, yeah, it's a it's production. A, it's, yeah, that's exactly. You're one of the, yes. You are, that is, that's probably the best way I've ever heard that put. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. And like, it's, and it's, it's a manipulation. It's a manipulation of emotional response. And people feel like that it's God. Um, it, it could be God can speak through anything. I, I, I believe that with all my heart. But in a lot of these, in a lot of ways, like people are manipulated into a feeling. And for instance, with these sermons that a lot of these pastors have, that sort of stuff, what happens is they'll be reading, you know, and it's just fill in the blank. It'll, it'll have everything written and it'll say personal anecdote here for your church. <laughs> and then it'll go down and then enunciate here, exclamation point. <laughs> And what's funny is uh, it's you can do these live streams. I, th- I truly believe this is one reason that during COVID, so many people had such a hard time with like live stream church. Like a lot of them got into it, and then they were like, "Wait a minute, I'm seeing like the same church service with this church that I'm seeing." Oh with wow. that was happening. Like that was happening a lot, and wow. we keyed into it because one of the things that happened for us that like made me go, "Oh, oh," like they were. There was like this, they do these really exciting intro lead-ins with video graphics and stuff. And my wife's parents were visiting and they were from uh, a couple hundred miles away. (laughs) And they were visiting and we went to church. We all went to church together and we were like, oh man, don't you think that's cool? And my wife's dad was like, oh yeah, we heard this sermon a couple weeks ago. Oh, and he didn't wow. mean and he didn't mean anything <laughs> negative by it. Whoa. He was just like, oh yeah, they all use these. And then that's when I started, huh, and started really digging into it. And that's when, because I had seen like the, the the corporate sales tactics, that really high pressure kind of thing. Yeah. And and then that's when I was like, ooh, I don't know if this is a church for us. And because I I grown up with my dad labors like over over yeah. his sermons and but it's a little country church, you know, and that sort of stuff. And but it seems like it's the difference between eating organic versus eating processed. 100%. Yeah. And I don't eat processed like a little at all. <laughs> and so my wife and I and our, our pastor is our friend now. But we, he wanted to plan a church that wasn't like that, that was really invested in people and was didn't want to have a bunch of programs that people joined into, but wanted to resource others. And this is how the genesis of our charity and what we do is that he planted that seed in me a decade ago. And we had this little tiny church. We were meeting in a gym at the time and people would come in and go, hey, what do you do for the homeless? And he's, oh man, I'd love to do something for the homeless. What do you want to do for the homeless? And they go, I think we should do this. And he goes, let's get behind that. Lead the charge. And, not, and nine times out of 10, people will walk the other way. You know, they're, you know, they're like, hey. You can dude, do it, yeah, but yeah, not yeah, me. Exactly. I want you to do it. But that's the kind of person that, that one was the kind of person that, that our friend, the pastor was looking for, was looking for the one. And finding that person that had a passion for something to lead that thing. And then it became, let me find the person that's passionate. Let me resource that person. And consequently, he now has a church. We're still, it's still, we're still part of that church, even though we've, we've been gone overseas for going on six years now. But we still do our 501c3 fundraising through this church. It's not a perfect church, but in that church, out of 100 people, uh, 110, 115 people, there's about 
40 different ministries present. And what I mean by that is people that have, have like we've got folks that, that have their own, have farms and feed the public. We've got folks that work with trafficked women. We've got folks with, that do all different types of stuff in this church. And it's beautiful. It's not perfect, but it stretches the imagination. Yeah, but I mean, I, I don't, I, I think we, that would be a false expectation to try and go after perfection. Can't. But yeah, it, it, things are flawed. But the fact that you're focused on doing it and trying to do it the right way and the best way that you can right. seems like a, a, a huge leap over some of those experiences yeah, I mean, you just spoke about. Yeah, that's about. the thing is that some people prefer processed. Some people do. <laughs> like some people prefer a McDonald's Big Mac over a grilled burger. Yeah. Some people do. It's easy. It's convenient. I come in. I get it. I consume it. Whereas other people are like, man, I want to put some care into this patty. I want to put some my special recipe in here. I'm only going to cook it over charcoal. I'm not going to cook it over grab. You know what I mean? Like people in yeah. yeah, some people prefer that type of thing. The problem is that for me is when you try to do it a different way and people are like, oh no, this is the only way it can be done. Yeah, that's not necessarily true. If you go back biblically, and I know that's not necessarily this type of podcast, but if you go back biblically, you had all the books in the New Testament after the Gospels and Acts and Revelation, but and there's Philemon and some others, but most of the, let's say most of the books of the New Testament, they're written to specific churches. That, yeah. that, are, that were not church buildings. They were groups of people in houses that were around a city. And you had a bishop in a city that oversaw all these little church houses. They couldn't come together due to persecution. They couldn't come together for a myriad host of reasons. Occasionally they would try to. You, you had all these individual like, little churches and everyone was different. They were all different leadership models, different different things, and that was one of the that was one reason Paul had to write so many letters blasting people. He, what are you guys doing? Like most people read the Bible and they're like, "Oh, this is the good book." I'm like, "Have you ever read like what's in that New Testament? Like the stuff that's going on in these churches? You've got sex, you've got you like like incest, incestuous relationships. You've got yeah. the money theft. You've got people suing each other. You've got all different types of stuff going on. And like Paul's writing these letters saying, all right, look, we got to get back to the point, which is Jesus. That's the point. And the, the work of the finished cross or the finished work of the cross rather. And, and in a lot of our churches, it's the same thing today. It's when I can tell you in some of these bigger church meetings, these business style church meetings, there was no prayer. There, there wasn't prayer. There wasn't there. There wasn't prayer. They're they're going. They're creating a model to satisfy the audience. Yes, and to satisfy the financial needs and goals of the organization. That's it. And what tends to happen in a lot of those situations is, like for me, I'm very missionally minded. Obviously, I'm a missionary. Uh, I want to be a part of a missionally minded church. And a lot of these churches, the larger churches that operate as businesses, they have no mission outreach none they might do you know like a one or two week mission trips throughout the year or whatever like big groups get them together you mean the call center isn't yeah <laughs> um, you know they'll do stuff like that but like they don't really like fund indigenous missionaries they don't fund um missionaries outside of their if they can't get a photo op they don't want to do it that kind of deal um wow. and so so a lot of these bigger churches like 
I've seen some big ones open up. They don't even do anything with missions. They're like, it's not what we do. What do you do in the community? We don't do anything in the community. So what do you do then? Are you just like a social club that meets on Sunday? What's going on? But that, that's their thing. That's what they're that's what they're happy with. In Wales, it was the same. When we went to Wales, um, we knew that we weren't going to be in a church business model. We're more, my wife and I, we're more like uh, outreach. So we actually started a, just basically a place to, to bring in all these different worship teams and they could worship, but that was one side, but then we had a charity on the other side, and basically the charity was closed for the homeless, women that had been trafficked, abused, neglected. We were in a very rough part of Wales, in the opioid capital of Wales, so addiction was like a big deal. And what ended up happening is uh, COVID happened. <laughs> so we had gotten funding to to open up this place. And then literally three months later, COVID hits. And so it was like, what do we do? We don't have any funding. So we don't have anything. So Ken, yeah, go ahead. just a quick question. Yeah. This, you moved to Wales. Yeah. Was this the first time you gave away everything? That was the first time. Yeah. So you gave away everything and then COVID hit. We gave away everything. We moved to Wales. We were there for a couple of months working with a couple of different churches. We knew that's that wasn't going to be the big thing that we were going for. We knew that we were called to outreach in the community with no strings attached. What do I mean by that? One of the things that's always bothered me about a lot of church work with the homeless, with abused women, addiction, at-risk youth, etc., they'll give you resources, a sermon, or if you uh, come to this meeting, or if you do these things. And to me, that's not Jesus. I, I read through the Bible. I, I read this. I read the, everything in red that Jesus said, and I don't see any of that. What I see is Jesus giving of himself. My wife and I, in creating this charity, it was we want to. It was we want to just give things away to the public, and people were like, "You're crazy. You'd never be able to do that. You're you've given away everything. You've moved to Wales. You're living off of." three grand a month and you got three kids and one on the way like how in the world are you going to do that and I was like man that's just what I feel passionate about that's what I feel like I'm supposed to do so we opened up this place we get some funding to open the building we had we had some folks that really believed in what we were doing and they knew how crazy my wife and I are and, uh, and so we had some funding to to get everything rolling and then and right when we're starting to really make inroads with the community COVID hits and COVID in the UK was very different than COVID in the US. It was still, you remember, it was still rough, but the restrictions in the UK were much greater than they were in the US. All my UK friends could not understand why Americans would not stay inside. And so people stayed home and you weren't allowed to go more than five miles away from home. And on main roads at the beginning, they did have stuff set up so you couldn't travel and you would get sighted and all of this sorts of stuff. But I could travel because I had a, my visa was as a minister, as a pastor, because I am a licensed pastor. So I was like, so I was like, what do we do? And because we didn't have anything, we had this building. We didn't, it was like, we're here as missionaries. What are we supposed to do? And all of a sudden the thought came to me one day was all these hotels around here are closed. And my past work, you know, I said, I worked with employee engagement services. My primary clients, my particular primary clients were hotels. So I knew how many, how much toiletries, 
how much resources these hotels were sitting on that they could not use. So we had become a registered charity at this time, the equivalent in the, of a US 501c3, basically. Right. And so I started reaching out to hotels and I was like, look, we're a charity. We want to start providing stuff to people that are suffering from COVID, the elderly, people that are locked in, people in hospitals, et cetera. And they were like, yeah, let's do it. And they just started giving us like tons of stuff. And so meanwhile, while, you know, the hospitals couldn't get PPE, when the hospitals couldn't get toilet paper, when the hospitals couldn't get, they had patient, I don't know if you guys remember, because we've all just got this cloudy haze as far as COVID is concerned. But right. if you remember back to the early days of COVID, when you went to the hospital, you didn't just leave. They kept you there. Yeah. Oh, you're contagious. You can't leave. In the UK, you had to stay between 10 to 14 days in the hospital. So people were going into hospital. They didn't have any clothes. They didn't have changes of clothes. People at home who had been in contact with them couldn't bring a change of clothes to the hospital. So you had people that are like literally walking around in the same pair of underwear for weeks. And we start reaching, we start getting as much stuff as we can. We start creating these, these packs, we call, you know, packs that we would take out to folks and to hospitals and mental health wards and nursing homes and stuff like that. And we would, we'd put in like really nice notes of people, like things to cheer people up. And next thing I checked the bank account one day and there's like a lot of money in it, like more money, 50,000 pounds, which is the equivalent of about 70,000 bucks. And I was like, okay, what's going on? And there, what happened is funders, businesses, foundations and stuff like that found out that what we were doing because hospitals were telling people about us. We started getting all these letters from hospitals. And so these, these foundations and folks like that were like, we really believe in what you do and we want to make it bigger. So the next thing, our charity is like rolling. Like we went, we literally went from zero, like in one month to the next month, having, you know, 70,000 pound in the bank. Right. And everything we had, it was like, this isn't our money. This is the charity's money. I never received a salary. I still never receive a salary from anything that we do. And my, neither does my wife or, or anyone. That's what our charity is unique in that <laughs> can, no one receives any money. probably wondering, like, how do you, do you have a family? Yeah, yeah. sure. How do I do it? And, and yeah. I'm not wealthy. You're, you're taking the money. <laughs> so we, okay, so I will take money. <laughs> so there's a couple of things that I, that personally I do that helps with our income. I've written a number of books. I've written a number of freelance books. I've ghostwritten a lot. So for a while we did that. We would do little jobs here and there as far as digital. I call it, personally, I call it digital tent making. So, cause Paul, like as the great missionary, like he, he was a tent maker. That's how he created money for himself is that he would go and he would mend tents, build, make tents, etc., And that's how he would, would work. And so we do the same thing. We're digital tent makers. For me, TikTok has been a huge boom that we, I never expected in a million years. It has really made a lot of things possible. I make nothing from TikTok. I, what, <laughs> when I set up that, when I set up my TikTok account, I set it up basically to draw attention to our charity. So I set it up as a business TikTok, not as a personal TikTok. Uh -huh. And then it exploded. And now I'm like, man, I really wish <laughs> I'd set it up as a personal TikTok because yeah, I could be making a couple extra thousand bucks a month, which I left at the, which I left at the altar 
But the people are like, you can always change it to a personal account. And I'm like, yeah, TikTok doesn't like it when you do that. All these social right. media companies. Yeah, you almost got to set up another one. Yeah, I did. Like people are like, you should do a backup. But it's me and I, I have such limited time in a day anyway. So what we did, we have all this money for the charity. It's coming in and we are just like flooding it right back out. And after COVID ended, I was like, what do we do now? Because like we've got, so what we did is we got a bigger storefront. And now that charity is still running, even though we're not in Wales. I still serve as a chair. I'm still a trustee. But what we do is the whole front half of the store, the storefront is a very large storefront. The first half, front half of the storefront, everything in there is free. Clothing, coats, shoes, diapers. And you don't have to sit through a sermon? No. No. You just come in and take whatever you want. You can take up to five items a week for free. You can take three toiletry items a week for free. We would do a lot of we do a lot of work with the homeless community. Uh, we, we but the thing is that's just the bandage. The giving stuff away for free, that's just a bandage. The whole idea concept is to get people resourced. So for instance, we have a group for it sounds weird, but I'm just gonna list some stuff out. We have a group for mothers who want to adopt like we actually have professional counselors come in and volunteer and give their services for free to help families find children to adopt we have services for mothers who have given their children up for adoption who are suffering basically who had to give their children up through either court order or had to give their children up because they could not provide for their children um, we have services for uh, at-risk youth uh, we are adding in this year um, choir, free choir, free vocal lessons. We have a homeschool group for families who homeschool in the area and want to bring their kids into a social arena. And we'll bring in private tutors and things like that to, and offer testing. We work with battered and abused women who've been trafficked. Uh, a lot of that addiction recovery, that's really huge. Uh, we have a computer lab that everybody can use for free. The printer resources, everything, they can access all of those services for free. We work with multiple other charities. We have school book packs for kids who see in, in, in Wales, everybody wears uniforms. So we have a uniform exchange. So instead of just throwing out an old uniform, you bring in your uniform and we give that uniform for free to someone else. And then you can take your uniform because the economy and the particular area that we are in Wales is extremely deprived. It's in the worst 15% deprived in, in Wales, which is bad. Very low income, lots of government support. And the government loves us because we're pulling people off of their support. And we are actually providing goods and services. And we actually have a partnership with Neath Port Talbot Council, which is the council the area that we are in Wales that we actually work in tandem within, with them. And it's been amazing. Like I never in a million years when we got to Wales had any of that in mind. It was, all right, God, what do you want us to do? And that was it, actually creating real significant change in people's lives and not just, like I said, bandaging their wound and giving them clothes so that, and just shuttling them out a hot cup of coffee. It's to actually provide services that can transform their lives. For instance, we even do what's called a, they call it a warm bank. And basically, with so with fuel, when fuel charges shot up in Europe when the Ukraine war happened, or 
started, mm-hmm. still going, but started. We had a lot of Ukrainian refugees, but we also had a lot of people come in because they couldn't afford their fuel bill anymore because the prices went like shot through the roof. Yeah. So we provide heaters, we provide insulation for their homes, blankets, hand warmers, and we hook them up with resources to create warm environments in their homes so they don't freeze to death in the cold. And basically we're the boots on the ground. And what happens is, what has happened is there are agencies out there that want to help. They're like, how do we help? And so when you have charities like ours come along, they're like, okay, that's something with a proven and established track record. We can get behind that and they'll fund it, you know? So it's, you know, I'll just, you know, I'll just write a grant application, say, hey, this is what we want to do. This, it aligns with your vision, your mission. Let's work together. Let's make something happen. And that's where my business background comes in. And it works great. And it and it's still going. And we are now doing a similar project here in Puerto Rico. Yeah, I was I was gonna I wanted to to make sure that we we got into that because after a few years now of success in in Wales, and I I, I say success, but I'm sure there are always things that are needed. <laughs> but consider, considering where you started it from to where you've grown it, I, I would say that's success. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like I said, I never in a million years did I think that I didn't know anything about charities, you know? Like, and, and how they operate in other parts yeah, of the world. Yeah, I had no idea. And that that whole thing, how that all developed, like I, like I said, you know, I grew up in church. I, I knew that background. I knew that most churches aren't really making a change in the community. It might be a line item in their budget, but they're not really active in their community. And so like for me, it was like, wow, let's like the idea of having working directly with the community and like seeing a need. So being in Wales, I think like for me, like actually learning the ins and outs of how charities operate, how to, how do how does a nonprofit make money and be sustainable like how do you do like how do you do that like learning the ins and outs and i had no this is during covid i had nobody to guide me really it was just like plodding along learning as much as i could online stumbling bumbling and fumbling my way to it and next thing you know but but meeting a need that at the time so many you know you know, the COVID with isolation turned me so many people inwards focused instead of outwards focused. And I think we just chose to be outwards focused. And it was crazy because like looking back on it, it's man, so much happened. But as it's happening, it didn't seem like much was happening. But yeah, we're in the moments, what are we doing? You know, but then boom, you know, and, and like actually knowing that we made a difference. And what happened with Puerto Rico in 2021, I do, I'm a dreamer. I love to dream. I've always been a dreamer my entire life. I've not always been successful at it, but I believe in activated dreams. And I get passionate when, and that's the big thing with the gathering. So let me preface this by saying, let me go back a little bit. So with the gathering place, the thing that's unique, all those things that I mentioned, about all the outreaches that we do and all that stuff, 90% of that was not my idea. Like maybe only 10%. And what it was, like I said, like linking back to my pastor friend who encouraged me a long time ago to say, what are you passionate about and how can I feel that? 
And so that's what the gathering place in Wales is really all about, is finding out what people were passionate about, passionate about and providing an arena for them to activate that and giving them a safe place to fail. I think that most of us are afraid to get involved in things or to, to act on our dreams that we've had or, or whatever, our passions, because we're afraid to fail. Safety and security, especially in American society, is an idol. It's way up there. That's what we're told, right? Like, especially churches are very risk averse. There's a game called tiptoeing through the tithers. You, 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 you don't want to, especially you don't want to offend your big spenders. So there's a lot of things that the gathering place did that like people went to churches to ask them how to do. Like, I want to do an outreach for sexually trafficked women. Or I want to do this, that, or the other. And the church would be like, mm, that kind of deal. And, and so we actually provide the space. And that is simply me looking meeting a person, seeing a person, seeing the passion that's in their eyes or that I feel in their heart and going, I believe in that. I believe that that is a passion in your heart. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. I'm going to provide this space for you. What do you need? And that's the genesis of basically how my wife and I operate. We do that in everything that we do. You invest in people. We invest in people. I'm, I am not the personal guy though. My wife is, my wife is like really like, she is the personal person, but I invest in people, but I'm very much it. I'm going to give you the resources to make it happen. Sink or swim. Whereas my wife is very much a, all right, let's teach you how to doggy paddle. All right. All right. Now you just got the doggy paddle down. Can you duck your head underwater? That kind of person. It, she knows she is more. incredible. She is amazing. With Puerto Rico, like I said, I'm a dreamer. Wells opened up through dreams, same thing in Puerto Rico. I began dreaming about farmland. I've been dreaming about a large house on, a far, um, on farms that had people that would actually come into it, that had actually tiny homes. And like I had this whole roadmap in my mind, I actually sketched it out in a journal. And I was like, and back in 2021, I was like, I know we're just getting started. It feels like we're just getting started in Wells. I was like, but I feel like this is the next step and we need to start preparing. And over the span of a couple of years, we didn't know where it was gonna be. But in the dream, in the vision I had, it was very tropical. It was very, it was very lush. You know, there were mountains and rivers and stream, you know, and all this stuff. And at the time, I had some friends who were in Puerto Rico, and they were talking about their experiences and what they were experiencing when they left the area that they lived in, and actually went into the countryside or they went into the city and the immense poverty that was here, and they were just letting me in started tugging on me at my heart a little bit. And, and then I had, we, we had a mutual, I had a, my brother-in-law and I, we had a mutual friend who actually has a very successful charity here in Puerto Rico. Uh, they're in North Puerto Rico, we're in Southwest. And they actually have this seven acre farm. They feed 200 to 600, 200 people a week, uh, minimum 600 people a month um, off this small farm. Uh, just really working in the community, making a difference in people's lives. And they also do disaster relief around the world. And so my brother-in-law has like, he had a, knew this guy and he introduced us. We became mutual friends and he invited us down. So we came down in March of 2022 to visit. And we saw the work that they were doing in the community. And then like where we felt like we were supposed to be for some reason, had the heartstrings tugged to Southwest Puerto Rico didn't know anything about Southwest Puerto Rico at the time. 
didn't know much about Puerto Rico and really saw the need. Most people have no idea beyond what they're told on CNN or Fox News or whatever about the situation going on in Puerto Rico and what the Puerto Rican people deal with. And the average Puerto Rican only makes $21,000, sorry, household income is only only $21,000 a year. But yet their groceries here cost 25% more than they do on the mainland. So you think you got inflation down here? Let me tell you, it's bad. And the lack of services, the lack of rolling blackouts, the poverty level is about 50%. And the system is stretched beyond its max. And the government here has its issues. The federal government has its issues. People here in Puerto Rico, they're not allowed to import goods and services from surrounding Latin American countries. You can get on a rowboat and go to the Dominican Republic. It's, it's, a, it's a shotgun blast away but they can't import from there. If if you want avocados from Dominican Republic, you gotta get them from Miami. Because what happens is everything because of the Jones Act, which the Jones Act has some benefits, but the Jones Act, which is basically, is a maritime law. And what it is, US ports are this US port because it's a territory, because it's territory. Second, Second largest port in the United States is in San Juan. This is why Puerto Rico is so valuable to the United States. But what happens is they cannot import any food unless it comes on an American ship from an American port. So that means those avocados that are coming from the Dominican Republic has to go up to Miami and then come down. So they get they get fuel charge on the front end, fuel charge on the back end. Wow. Taxed. Wow. And then they have an incredibly high sales tax. So the Puerto Rican people, it's bad. So you go to my, we were stunned when we started learning this stuff and everything, anything grows here. You can plant a two by four and it'll grow. But most of the (laughs) land here, so when the United States took over, took over from Spain as a territory, they moved everything away from sugarcane farming because sugarcane was dying at the time anyway. This is like early 20th century they did something called Operation Bootstrap. And so they pushed people to urbanized areas. And, and so what's happened is you have all this commercial, you have all this land, this farmland. Commercial entities started coming in, buying it up. So most farmland in Puerto Rico is owned by commercial entities. And so I think 80, I think the last thing is 85% of the food that is eaten in Puerto Rico actually comes from the mainland United States, not Puerto Rico. And so it's, and the primary meat in diets in Puerto Rico is beef and chicken. Yet it's a 30 mile by 100 mile island surrounded by water because most of the outside is taken up by commercial shipping lanes. So you can have small shipping boats, but you can't really have commercial shipping boats and, or you can't have a business, local business, because they're owned and they just take fish, send it back up to the United States. So it's really the access to organic goods. We've met with so many people, the access to actually you brought up processed versus organic. And that is something that's near and dear to my wife and I's heart. My wife is incredible, like really like just she is a person that what she puts in her body it has a goal 
and that is to extend life, to give life. She's very passionate about that sort of thing. And like, we don't eat, we don't eat chicken. We don't eat, we, we're pescatarians basically. I eat a lot of fish now. I'll, I'll eat fish all day long. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> You're in a good place yes, for indeed. that too. And it's just amazing. Like the little access, direct access, a lot of folks. Once you, I don't know if you've ever been to Puerto Rico. It's absolutely stunningly beautiful. Like I, I have looked out since we moved here every day. I look outside and I'm like, my God, this place is like heaven on earth as far as its beauty. But in a minute you move just like every other Caribbean nation, you move two or three miles outside the Metro and it real quick. And there's such a need. And also like, for instance, people, you know, people are like, that's just cause you know, the government's trying to get them all on food stamps, but the, they only have access because they're not on the federal program, the United States, because they're not a state. They don't have access to the federal program. It is a modified version where they only get about half as much as someone in the mainland United States. So it's like your food, the food costs 25% more, is lesser quality, and the poor have less funds to work with. So you have this juxtaposition. It is absolutely amazing. But they get a they get a tax cut, right? For they don't have to pay as much in taxes yeah, for all of yeah. the they only make twenty two thousand dollars a year. Like they yeah, would Yeah, no. I'm 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 being I'm I know you're being facetious. But you you get uh higher price food, more expensive to live, you don't make as much money, you get less government benefits, and you know, there you go. It's a recipe for Disaster. for disaster. Yeah, especially because yeah. what happens is what happened is the last couple of years, there's been these hurricanes. There's been there's been uh, earthquakes. Like a lot of people in America don't even know that there are earthquakes here, and it's been devastating to people in the local economy as far as jobs. I just became consumed with this idea of having a place that, just like what we do, what we did in Wales basically do the same thing here except it be food-based and being able to provide organic non-pesticide food for free to the local population and as soon as we started working with this it was like i don't know nothing about farming you know and i you know when i was a kid i used to go you know shuck peas and stuff like you know sugar sugar peas and like corn and stuff like that you know i grew up in north carolina you know like that but i didn't know i don't know nothing about planting i don't you know and <laughs> like the lord kind of gave me a little smack on the hand because i you know and he was like you didn't know anything about a charity either did you and I, ah, that's a good point and 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 but what happened is we all of a sudden when we started talking about this vision people started getting in touch with us and come to find out like at our church like this little tiny church in the middle of nowhere, North Carolina, in Wilmington, North Carolina, there was a, a, a supporter of ours whose daughter is basically a permaculture farmer and got, was trained in Hawaii in tropical environments. And she's now in Florida and she's, oh yeah, I'm coming to work with you guys. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. And then it was, you know, this person volunteering and then it was, oh, you're going to, you're going to do this. Let's, you know, I know this university professor and he, and he does permaculture installation and, oh, I know this other guy. And so it was, and that's what I do. Like I said, once again, it's that, you know, 
I might not know how to do everything, but I do know how to pull people together for a common goal. And that is what we're doing with this property. It'll also be a place where people can come and stay. Um, that was like one of the first things, parts of this vision. I saw these little tiny houses on the property. You know, it's gonna be a place where people can come and they can stay and commit to a week. Like churches do mission trips and stuff like that where they can actually yeah. work with the environment. But the big thing that we wanna do is teach um, people how to do this in their homes. Um, you know, how to, because there's this big movement right now that a lot of, you know, the self-sustained movement and that I really didn't know much about. I was living in Wales and like people were like, no, we, we need to get back to using our lawns for farming. Because most people like in Wales and the UK, you call it the backyard, your garden. And for the longest time, I was like, why do they call it a garden? Like just not thinking in my head until I realized one day, oh, you big stupid. It's because after World War II, when nobody had any money, they would grow it was the garden. backyard was the garden. They had their own personal yeah. garden. And I was like, my gosh, I was like, this is something that is coming back. And now you see all this stuff on YouTube about guys like, you know, turning their backyards into a garden and yes. they're feeding their entire neighborhood. And I was like, well, why can't we do that on a farm and have people come learn how to put these things in, 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 in how to, how do you collect your own rainwater? How do you clean your rain? I'm not a doomsday prepper. That's not me. I'm not that guy. You can watch my TikTok account. I'm not that guy. I'm not, I'm not the guy that's, oh, I gotta have a bug out bag and they gotta have all this stuff together. But this is something that I, our great grandparents, they knew. They, they, knew how to, they knew how to do these things that we don't know how to do. They right. knew that if you took an onion and mixed it with honey, it would create an anti-inflammatory that probably works better than ibuprofen. They knew this stuff. My, grand, my grandparents knew this. They were up in Lynchburg, Virginia. They grew their own stuff in their backyard. None right. of that knowledge got to me. That's not my dad's fault. It's just you didn't need it anymore. I need it. Right. I go to the store. I buy it. But now when you go to the store, you're spending, man, last time I went to, last time I went to the store, I bought a little bag of vegetables home, and it was $35. I was like, where did that $35 go? It's a bag of carrots, some cheese, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so why not? Why not have a place where that, that that feeds the community for free, providing necessary nutrition that they're not getting? Number one, but also number two, show them how to do it. And so that's where we're moving to as a charity here in Puerto Rico. So basically, what we're we just established residency. So as part of the process. So if you go to the website, uh, it's awaketodream.com backslash Porto-Rico, you can actually see all the web links for our 10-year timeline. The first year is we're going to look at property tomorrow. I don't have the money in the bank to buy the property, but we're going to look at property tomorrow because we are people that operate by faith. We've done this before, right? We believe in dreaming. Yeah. So it's like one of these things. It's for the first, so for the first six months to the next, to the year, basically, that's this time is relocating our charity to Puerto Rico, getting established in Puerto Rico, getting all the hard stuff set up, and then basically raising the money for the charity for the first year to invest in land. Once we invest in land, then the land grants come on the back end of the charity because there's a lot of there's a lot of government grant right now. Uh, we so Ken, I'm no, sorry, I don't mean to in, interrupt man. your flow, but I was going to ask you. So if if people are listening and hearing about the work that you're doing what are some of the big what are some of the big needs that you have right now as you're getting into this oh man i'm sure there's a list maybe the top five things like would help you get to your goal a little bit 
I don't say a little bit faster, but maybe a little bit faster. I, I am a person that I believe wealth is in connection, not necessarily money. Now, don't get me wrong. If y'all want to send money, <laughs> we, we, will, we will put it to good use. <laughs> uh, but, but my thing is connection. So if anyone knows anyone that is passionate about this sort of thing, those are people I want to be in touch with. What's been amazing on TikTok, when I put this out on TikTok, I was absolutely blown away by the response of people, the amount of people who said, I've been dreaming of doing something like this. I believe in dreams. And I dreams are the one thing that no one can really take from you, you can always dream. You might not have the actualization of that dream, but you can always dream. And I, I'm a fan of the dreamers. I, I, I wanna be linked to, to dreamers. I wanna be linked to people who realize there's more to this world than just getting mine. We've been doing getting mine for a while. It's not working. You know, it's not. And and that is what, you know, Jesus's mission was. You know, everybody's, you know, my TikTok account, like I said, I got a quarter million followers. And one of the biggest things I always get from people is what am I really supposed to be doing as a believer? What am I supposed to be doing? You know, I get so much of that. I get these long emails, man, emails that are like this long every day. I get hundreds of messages and comments every day. And I read through as almost as many, I read through as many of them. I read through, I would say 98% of them. I can't respond to all of them. I never leave the house. Sure. But the biggest thing that people always come back to is like, what, what do I need? To, when you distill this big thing down into its shortest statement is, what does God want me to do? How does God want me to live my life? What am I supposed to be doing? And the Lord said it. He said, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we exist by that. My wife and I, we exist by that as much as we can. And, and what I mean by that is I, don't, I, don't, I fail daily. <laughs> I fail daily. But our heart is to see lives transformed and to see people, no matter where they come from, who they are, like succeed and to be able to dream. So I, the biggest thing that I want to be is connected. There are so many people that are passionate about doing something like this. Uh, but they have that thing holding them back. My, yeah. my wife and, and I get it. I get it. I get it. I, I totally get it. Most people can't live their life. And I don't encourage people to live their life the way my wife and I do and our family does. It takes a certain type of, it's not a, then this is not a, I'm better than you thing. That's not that at all. We are all equal, but it takes a certain personality to say, Hey, I'm going to give up everything. I believe in this so much. I'm going to give up everything to go and accomplish it. No matter what, there's no plan B. There's no going back. There's no fail safe. There's no big stash of money set away in a savings account. We don't have that. Yeah. You know, that's very scary. It's for terrifying. It's scary for me, <laughs> but I believe that's how the world has changed in us doing what we're doing and providing a place where people can come or a person who goes, I have a background in, in water containment. 
and setting up water filtration systems. Like that to me is more valuable than gold because that is a resource that can be utilized that we can meet, I can learn, they can learn what we do, walk through things and create a better world for people in need. And what yeah. I have found is that a lot of, there, I mean, there are takers in this world, I get it. But one of the biggest things that happened in, in Wales, and it's still happening, is people who were helped when they eventually do get on their feet or part of the process of getting on their feet, they start giving their time. And they're like, this transformed my life. Like this, they're like, this transformed my life and I want to help other people do that. And I think that's, that, that's how we change the world. I'm a dreamer. I'm not really an idealist, but I'm a dreamer. And I know dreams come true. I lived it out in Wales. I lived it out before Wales. I lived it out in Wales. We're living it out now. People were like, you're never going to be able to, because we're not wealthy. We're not wealthy people. If you look at my tax returns, you'll be like, how do you do this? I, I, I will say this, Ken, like, like in a very different way, certainly not to the extent that you have, have given my ambition for why I started this company, why I started this media thing and why I'm actively reaching out to you know people like yourself is I've spent 30 years in consumer product goods. I worked for Coca-Cola for 20 years. I've been in the wine industry for 10 years and I've been in academia for about 17 years and have gone along this path. And I teach college courses every year, all semesters, spring, summer, fall. And what I want to do and what I've done in collecting people like Alan and other people who serve on my board is there are people out there who, who are ambitious, who want to uh, start businesses who want to start nonprofits, who want to be better at management and leadership and all of these things, they don't necessarily, they don't want to pay for college or they, maybe they don't have the funds to pay for college or maybe they don't have the, the belief that they can do right. it sometimes. And it's really crazy, but there are people in this world who find it easier to study, to be a doctor than they feel themselves able to be a business. Yeah, for sure. Which is mind-blowing but one of the things that we're trying to do and why when i'm able to connect with people like you is i want to help share your story about what you're doing and bring people to to what you're doing put some focus put some attention on it and and help in a way in any way that i can uh, but even the people who are like on my board and the people who are you know like we all have our array of people that we have on LinkedIn and everything else. I promise you, I will do my best to blast out <laughs> what you've got going on there and what your needs are. Even after we're done talking here, if there's an expert you need, please reach out and let us know. Because between myself, Alan, Keith, like every the people who are on our board, I've got some people who I know with some good reach and depth We'll do our best to try and put the word out. And, you know, if there's someone that we can send your way and help you in any way, that we, that's what we love doing. Hey, I'll receive that. <laughs> yeah. for, for us right now, one of our, our biggest challenges is, is going back to school in a, little, in a, in a way is, because, is language. 
I, I have a couple of years of Spanish. My wife has a couple of years of Spanish. But where we live and where our property is going to be, it's pure. It's the it's primary, primary language. language. Once you leave North Puerto Rico, the further south you go, the less English. <laughs> like all of a sudden, all the English leaves the street signs. But that's okay. I understand that much. Ooh, but it's yeah. Puerto Rican Spanish is wicked fast. And it is a fast Spanish. And it's just like, wow, what did you just say? Like, how much did you just say in that sentence? But it's, I can read it. You know, but like hearing it. So we're going through that process of, because it's rude of us to move, like to want to be here and not communicate in their language. And because like what a lot of programs like this do, and one of my bones to pick, I think, with mission agencies as a whole, being, and I say this as a missionary who's been in the field overseas for going on six years now, is a lot of times, you'll have an American way of doing something like you'll create a box and you'll put that box in that place and you expect the outside to conform to it. Um, and that's like the MO of how a lot of these churches operate, etc. going back to the original subject and bringing it back in for closure. Like a lot of them, they'll export their system and place their system and expect the community to adapt to their system, which is why a lot of those mission type programs are doomed for, doomed for failure the minute the American leaves because the, the folks that were there, it just the system collapses in on itself. And that's a common thing that happens. My wife and I, as far as what we do, we operate differently. We want to find out what is actually working in the place that we are and resource that. So to, to come in the way that we are and people are like, what agency are you working with? Are you doing this? And we're like, no, we're not. We're, we're coming in. We're going to find out what's already here and we're going to go with that. And then we're going to build it up. Any of your listeners that have any connections in Puerto Rico or anyone, any folks in the Caribbean or any folks that are working in the non in, in nonprofit agencies, I, I'm a learner. I'm a reader. I absorb information. I will learn from all sources of other anyone that's had experience in doing work like that here. I'm desperately. Yeah, I, I will take all of that information in always looking for that stuff. I could be trite and say, oh, you could give by going here. People know that. People know that we need money. Obviously, every charity needs money, right? You know, so I don't have to say that. <laughs> right. You know, I just take that. But if you want well, to. Well, <laughs> I will, I will say, and I will definitely put it out to those, those who are listening that we'll make sure that we uh, talk about the website and where they can go to, to donate. It, it's funny. I always joke about we are we're we're a company that has yet to turn a profit. <laughs> As a fact, we have yet to make a dime yet. But but we are doing this because we have a passion for it because we love that's doing it. it. And um, that's it. As you have things that you need, or if there there are experts that can help, please don't hesitate to reach out because you know Anyone we're, in the we're agriculture. Anyone, anyone in the agriculture field. Anyone like perm We're looking for specifically for vertical farming, hydroponics, permaculture. Okay. We, we have a lot of resources there that are working with us already, but we want more. Okay. We want more. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. We will be in touch. I'm going to share some information with some folks and we'll see if we can't connect you with some people that might be able to help you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been a blast. Thank you. God bless.
Alan, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the interview that we had with with Ken. Uh, and uh, what were your thoughts? Because I'll be honest with you, I was I was so amazed by what he is doing. He and his family are doing the missionary work he's doing, but then also just all the stuff he shared with us about some ways that churches operate as a business these days. Um, what did yeah, you, what did you yeah. think? Well, as I was sharing with you earlier, even though I'd gone to the website and checked out the nonprofit that they're trying to do in Puerto Rico, I really didn't know what to expect. And I honestly, as I shared with you, I was a little shocked <laughs> to say, what's the relevance here? Why is this media doing this interview? And it didn't take a couple of seconds to get into it and to understand. I don't do TikTok, so I had not seen the presentations that you had seen. But the minute that you meet Ken, the minute he opens his mouth, the minute he he starts talking, you understand that you're dealing with a, a very unique, a very special, and a very authentic human being that has a clear vision, a mission, and purpose in his life. Uh, so I was stunned listening to the story about ministry and how he grew up. And it didn't take me long to realize, hey, man, this guy's doing a startup. He's <laughs> just like this medium. It's another side of the story around following your passion and doing something that fulfills your purpose and mission on earth. So I was grateful to you and to him and look forward to learning more and hearing more from him, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I thought, uh, you know, this episode is going to be, I, I think, really engaging. A lot of powerful words and messages uh, put in there. And some people might approach this as, oh, this is going to be a conversation about church and faith and uh, Jesus and, and God. And certainly some of that is woven into this because you can't ignore that fact. It's like talking about Chick-fil-A and not talking about the fact they're closed on Sundays for a reason. His faith is very much a part of what he does. However, I think the bigger story here, to your point that you just said, is this is about a startup. This is about commitment. It's about the things that you will do to commit yourself to a vision that you have and what you're willing to give up. And in Ken's case, he's willing to give up all of his possessions. And as he rightfully corrected me, not sell, but give up. Everything for the second time for the, for the second time for the second time <laughs> to give up everything. So I hope that you all enjoy this journey and this uh, episode. It was certainly a pleasure for Alan and I to spend some time with Ken, and uh, look forward to um, hearing more. Thanks for listening to Disc Media, a startup story. This podcast was produced and edited by Ben Olmos and is a production of Disc Media Corporation. If you're interested in learning more about anything you heard on this episode, please reach out to us at podcast at discmedia.com. You can also get more information about this and other episodes or information about our guests by checking out dailypitch.news, our business and insights publication focused on helping managers, leaders, and entrepreneurs get better at what they do. 